We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. We're, we're, as, we're, as we're preparing next week to celebrate Easter, we're looking at the beautiful diversity and unity in the church that is only possible because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, the fact that he is risen for the nations. Now, I, I don't think I have to tell you guys this because you live here. You get it, all right? Fairfax is a uh, richly diverse community, isn't it? I mean, the world lives right here, and, and, and we have so many people from, from different countries and cultures and ethnicities, and there's more people moving here all the time, and they're bringing their backgrounds and their worldviews and their tastes and traditions, and I got to tell you, I love it. Our family has grown to love it, and to the point now where when we go somewhere else, like I know most of you are not from here, so when you go somewhere else and it's not quite as diverse, it just feels weird, doesn't it? And, and it feels there's something not right about it, and we love to come back here. This is, this is home now, and, and we really want to grow in our sensitivity and our understanding and try to get to know people and build relationships and, and, and keep enjoying exploring and communicating and learning and appreciating from other people in different cultures. Just love to be a part of that. But I got to tell you, one thing instantly makes that really challenging. It's when there's a language barrier. Anybody ever experienced that? You experienced the frustration of trying to talk to somebody in a uh, speaking in a different language and, 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 and you're trying and, and maybe you're getting a little bit. I got to tell you, I actually feel bad for people that are trying to talk to me uh, because I know it, like they might feel awkward and clumsy in that, but it's really my fault. Because I only speak one language, and so if you don't speak English, it's like, I'm sorry, I got, I got nothing. Like, where, where, when I was growing up in high school, I took two years of French in high school and mostly just got in trouble. I, my, my teacher, in fact, by the time I was done, uh, decided that she wanted to retire my French name. Did, did you, you like a French or Spanish name in high school? You know what I'm talking about? So my French name was Philippe after one of the French peas in VeggieTales. And, and as soon as, like, by the time I got out of that class, my teacher never wanted to say that name again, okay? I grew up in the middle of the cornfields, in the middle of nowhere, and I didn't really appreciate the, the need and, and, and trying to communicate in a different language. In fact, I remember distinctly, this is going to, this will show you uh, the kind of community I grew up. I remember distinctly the first time I remember hearing somebody speaking in a different language live, like, what, like this is happening. And it wasn't until I was like in sixth grade, I think, when we decided to go on a, a family trip to New York City and uh, we were there visiting the Statue of Liberty. And that's like the first time that I heard somebody speaking in a different language. Is that crazy? That's crazy to you because it happens all the time here, doesn't it? I mean, it probably has happened, or it will happen today. It happened to me yesterday. I mean, this, this is just normal around here. But um, I'm glad my kids get to uh, be exposed to all that kind of diversity at an early age. I, I, I love it. We really just enjoy that. But have you ever stopped to question and think about why do we have different languages? Why, why, why do we have different nations? Why do we have borders? That, that, and, and, and why do these things divide us? You ever wrestle with that? Well, Genesis chapter 11 right here. I mean, there's, there's just so much at the beginning of Genesis that helps us understand where we come from and why we're here. And Genesis chapter 11 is going to give us the origin of the nations and languages. Guys, this is where it all started, okay? This is all part of God's sovereign plan. God's the one who did this. 
But it's not God's vision just to, to, to divide, all right? But we really need to know what, what's really going to bring us together. And so if you're taking notes this morning, we're, we're actually going to be here in Genesis 11, and we'll go to another uh, text later. But I, I want to show you this, all right? Here, here's the big idea this morning. God's vision for the nations is that we would be united in worship. That's God's heart. That's his desire for the nations. I want to show it to you. Genesis chapter 11, starting in verse 1. You follow along with me as I read. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. It's kind of an interesting story, isn't it? I'm going to give you not just in this text, but I think we're going to see two acts of God. He's going to step in. He's going to move and do some things to make sure that he's accomplishing this vision that he has for the nation. So if you're taking notes, here's, here's the first act of God. Note this. God scatters rebellion. God scatters rebellion. Let me show you what's going on here. Verse 1, verse one tells us that the whole earth had one language. How many languages? One language, but, 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 but in, if, in chapter 10, like if, if you were to look back in chapter 10, actually in verse 5, it actually tells us that the people are spreading out in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans and in their nations. So, so chapter 10 says that they already have multiple different languages and different nations, but then we get to chapter 11 and it says there's one language. So what's, what's going on here? So, so, so here's what's happening. Chapter 10 is actually telling us what is happening. That there are different languages and people are kind of spreading out and, and, and forming different nations here. Chapter 11 is explaining why. It's telling us some theological context here. In fact, let's get the, let's get the theological context. Let, let's get the history. Let's, let's back up just a little bit and, and, and remember where, where we've been coming from, okay? So Genesis chapter 1, at the beginning of the Bible, it says that God created the heavens and the earth. So God created everything. And in Genesis chapter 1, he also created man and woman, and he made us in God's image, right? And then he gives us this blessing. I've got it for you on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, at the end of the chapter here, verse 28, he said this, God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here's, what, here's what's happening, guys. God's intention is to bless us. 
And then he gives us this, this, this expectation, really, it's kind of an opportunity for us to, to have kids and, and to spread out and fill the earth with his image bearers. That we are not like the fish and the birds and the animals. We are made in the image of God. And so then God gives us this world to live in, not, not to be domineering and not so that we would take advantage of it, but so that we would subdue it and, and exercise dominion over it. That, that means that we represent God's rule here on earth. Okay, so let me show this to you. Can, can we put a picture up here of the world? Like, Check this out. Is that not beautiful? That's pretty awesome. So, so here's what's happening here. What, what, what he's doing is he's saying, picture this. God is coming down and he's saying, look, 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 guys, I made all of this and I'm giving it to you. And in fact, I'm putting you in charge. You represent me here on earth. And every time you have a kid, that child bears my image and I want you to multiply and fill the earth. So, so what, what are we saying? Can't you see what's going to happen here? The globe, his intention is that this entire world is going to be covered with image bearers who are experiencing God's blessing, representing his rule on earth and bringing him glory. I got to tell you, that is an awesome vision. In fact, later one of the prophets in Habakkuk 2.14, you've, you've got this one on the screen. He says this, for the, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that vision ought to stir us because we know that God is the only one who deserves all of the glory, that only he is satisfying, and he wants the whole earth to be filled with the knowledge of his glory. It's a pretty sweet vision. But there's a problem, right? The problem is sin. We don't even get to the next generation before this vision starts to break down. We turn the page in Genesis chapter 3 and we see that, that Adam rebels against God and sins and he fell out of fellowship and from there on out it just keeps getting worse. Next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, we, we see this, the, the horrific spiral of sin as one brother murders another brother and then Genesis chapter 5 we start to see the consequences of sin. Literally everybody is dying. Everybody's dying. We're like walking through a graveyard here. Then in Genesis chapter 6, we see that it gets so bad. It gets, it's so evil and corrupt that God's like, man, got to start over here. And so he comes down and he destroys the world with a flood. But in that, he saved one man in his family, right? He saved Noah and put Noah in the ark. Can you imagine what that would have been like for Noah and his family when, when, when the ark finally came to rest on the mountain and the waters started to uh, go away and they opened it up and everybody that you've ever known is gone. There's nobody left. Nobody else on earth. And God is starting over. Here's what he said. Genesis chapter 9, you can see this one right at the beginning. Verse 1, God blessed Noah, there it is again, he blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See that? Kind of sounds similar to the expectation that he gave to Adam and Eve, right? Like the, 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 the expectation is that you're going to keep having kids and those kids are going to be 
image bearers, fallen, they're sinners, but they're still image bearers, and you spread out and fill the earth. Then we get to chapter 10. At the end of chapter 10, look at this verse, verse 32, the very end of chapter 10, we're just walking through Genesis. Here at the very end, it says, from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. They're doing what God intended. It kind of looks like they're obeying God's command to spread out and fill the earth. But then we get to Genesis chapter 11, and Genesis chapter 11 tells us the real reason that they're spreading out. And it's not because they're obeying God. It's because God has to step in and make it happen. They've got, here in verse 11, these, these people of the world, they've got this new technology. Verse 3 tells us they have a brick for stone. They have bitumen for mortar. And verse 4, they, they said, come, let us, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. So they've, they've got this ambitious engineering plans, but then we see why. Here, here's the reason. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. When I was a kid, like this story always comes up in Sunday school, right? And, and I didn't get it, okay? I mean, they built a city, they built a tower. It doesn't really seem like that big of a deal, does it? Well, the city itself is not inherently evil. Okay? In fact, the Bible actually ends and culminates in, in a great city, a glorious city in the New Jerusalem. So God doesn't have a problem with cities. But it's what this city represents. Because this city represents rebellious independence from God. Because instead of trusting God to experience his blessing and, and spreading out to fill the earth for his glory, instead, one, they're filled with fear. You just hear it in their voices. They, we don't want to be dispersed. They're, they're, they're craving security. But instead of trusting and looking to God for that security, their solution is, well, let's just build a city. Let's stick around. Let's stay here. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll stick together. We'll have more resources. We'll have strength in numbers. We don't feel isolated in that. But this is in direct rebellion against God's command and his expectation. He said, don't stay here. Go fill the earth. And, and, but instead, they're trusting in a city to provide what they need, kind of acting like we don't really need God for that because they're filled with fear. But they're also filled with pride because look at what they say. Let, let us make a name for ourselves. And to do that, they decide we're going to build a tower because a tower is going to draw attention, right? I, I've got a picture of what this may have looked like. This is a ziggurat, all right? The archaeologists have actually found probably about 30 of these in the Mesopotamian Valley. This is the ziggurat at Ur in, in, in uh, modern-day Iraq. Now, like, we don't know exactly that this was uh, like the tower, but this is the structure that we're seeing in this area. Obviously, this one has kind of been reconstructed a little bit, all right? But, but the point is that you would come along and you would see this thing, the tower, this, this building would draw attention, uh, and, and people would just be amazed when they look at that, and they're like, wow, like, check this out. These people are awesome. I mean, look at what they built. Look, look, look at the power. So, so what they're wanting to do is they, they want the praise. They want the attention. Let's get our name out there. And so, because they're filled with fear, because they're filled with pride, God has to step in. Actually, verse 5, he had to, <laughs> he had to come down to see it. I love that. 
this is, can, can we go back to the picture of the earth here? Check this out. So we have some pretty sweet buildings and uh, skyscrapers and things that, that man has built on the earth. But, but um, do you, do you, can you see any of those in that picture? Do you, do you see any of the skyscrapers that we've made? Do you see what's happening here? So, so what's, what's happening in the text here, I, I love what he's saying. God has to come down to this tiny little planet in the universe, all right? And, and it's not because God didn't know or he couldn't see it already, but this text is putting it into perspective, and it's really just mocking their foolish little arrogance. Like, man, you got some, some tower there, man. That's, that's pretty cool, right? God comes down, verse 5, to see the city and the tower. Watch this which the children of man had built. The Hebrew word for man right there is the word Adam. It's where we get the name Adam. So what the author's doing here is he's saying, look, listen, they're acting just like Adam did when he rebelled in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, sinning against God. Now, um, John Silhammer actually points out the direction I I think this is kind of fascinating. Let me just let me put this map up here because verse verse two tells us that this is happening in the land of Shinar. Okay, so so this is happening. This 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 pink area over here, um, you can see Israel, Egypt down to the left here. This is the area of Shinar. What 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 John Selhammer is pointing out is this is happening in the east. In fact, that actually says that right there in chapter or, or verse two. So this is happening in the east. It's interesting when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, it tells us that they went east. Chapter 4, when Cain left and went away from the presence of the Lord, it says that he left there and went east. Later in Genesis, when Lot and Abraham separate and Lot's going to go and try to move towards Sodom, he goes, I'll let you guess, he goes east. So here's what John Silhammer says. In the Genesis narratives, when people go east, they leave the land of blessing, Eden and the promised land, and they go to a land where their greatest hopes will turn to ruin in Babylon and Sodom. So think about what's going on here. God knows that sin always destroys but here are, God, here, here are all the people of the world. They're, they're, they're gathering together and uniting in sin and rebellion. And so God's action here then is really rescuing them from themselves. Verse 6, he says, Behold, they're, they're one people, they're one language. This is only the beginning. Nothing that they propose will be impossible for them. It's not that God is, it's not that he's scared or threatened by them, like, oh man, like I'm, I'm going to have to deal with these people. No, he knows that sin destroys, and if nothing is holding these people back and restraining them, and they're allowed to unite in sin, they're going to hurt themselves. They're going to destroy themselves in this. And so he says, verse 7, Come, let us go down. Let us confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech so that the Lord dispersed them then and they left off building the city. Okay, you just like imagine what's happening here, okay? You're building the city. You, you've got this tower that you're putting together. In their minds, everything's going great. You're doing your thing. You're making bricks, being awesome, sticking it to God. And then all of a sudden, you turn to the guy next to you and you're like, hey, dude, pass me another brick. And he's looking at you and he's thinking like, like, did that guy just say something about my mama? 
You've never heard another language before. They don't exist. And so this is the first time you're looking at your buddy and you were just talking to him. Now he turns to you and starts talking. He's like, you're like, what is going on? This is weird. Man, this is weird. And we, we don't know. Like, it might have gotten ugly and they kind of freaked out. You can just imagine what that moment would have been like. And you're trying to figure out, like, can I communicate with anybody? And then there's a couple people that you can. And so you start kind of huddling up with, with your people. And, 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 and you kind of get afraid of everyone else. And so we, we just kind of run away from everybody else. That would have been kind of a frightening moment, wouldn't it? But the text makes sure, verse 9, makes, makes sure that we know who's doing this, okay? It says, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is an act of God proving that any rebellion against God is never going to work. And so God scatters it here. This this is a curse. But I think it actually shows God's grace too. Because think about how this works even in our world today. The division of, of, of languages and nations actually provides some checks and balances. This is part of God's providential care and protect, protection here. That, that the pride and the fear of different nations actually, actually prevents one nation from taking over and devouring all the others and advancing their self-sufficiency and independence from God and sucking the rest of the world down the vortex of their rebellion. It keeps superpowers in check. Because remember, every superpower is led by a man or a woman with a sinful heart. And, and so this is common grace. What God is doing is he's restraining evil. I mean, I, I, I shudder to think of what the world would be like if rebellious sinners were just left unchecked and they could just unite in their wicked pursuits. I mean, imagine if the tyrants and the dictators in history had never been stopped. Or imagine if, if the patriotism that can lead to idolatry and replacing God and chauvinistic racism and devaluing other people. Imagine if that kind of attitude was never challenged. Never forget, sin destroys. And so it's the grace, that, that, it's the grace of God that he would hold us back from unleashing as much evil as we could on the world. So what he's doing here, God, God, God's scattering this because he does not want us uniting together in sin. So he comes down to Babel and he disperses them over the face of the earth. But that doesn't actually fix the heart problem. Now they're a bunch of sinners all spread out all over the place. And you know, there's some checks and balances, there's some accountability there. They're not going to be able to just unleash uh, the full extent of their evil but their hearts are still full of the same pride and the same fear as Babel. That's why even today we often look down on people who don't look like us or talk like us. That's why there's racism. That's why there's hatred. That's why the the divides just run so deep. This is why instead of, of enjoying beautiful harmony, we give up and settle for something like tolerance. Because at the end of the day, that's 
pretty much about as good as we can do unless something drastic happens in our hearts. But I do think that there's, I think it's appropriate for us to kind of look inward here. Personalize this for just a minute. Because I know this is like distant. These seem, these, like they, these are bad guys, right? Like we wouldn't do that. But I think it is necessary for me to ask you this. Are there fragments of the heart of Babel still living in you? It's pride and it's fear and it divides us. Think about this. Are you uncomfortable around people of different skin color or people that speak a different language than you do? It's going to be hard to live around here, right? But can I, can I ask you one more further question? What about the people that you hang out with? Does your inner circle of friends pretty much look and sound like you? Think, think about the people that you've spent the most time with in the last week, the people that you hang out with. You ever get frustrated by people because of the, the language or the cultural barriers that you don't really understand? And, and, and you would never say this, but, but sometimes you find in your mind you're, you almost kind of judge them or dismiss them. And you do kind of look at yourself as a little bit superior and maybe prefer to avoid someone who is of a different status than you. See, it's pride and fear. This is what brings division. God is the only one. God's the one who scatters here at, at Babel. It is important that we get that. This was his act. But I want you to know it was never his vision to merely divide and disperse the nations. Okay? So I'm going to give you a second act of God here. We're going to look at it in a different text. But if you're taking notes, note this. He brings us together in the gospel. This is awesome. I want you to turn. We don't normally do this, but I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. I want to show you what's happening here. We're going to kind of look at this story in the grand scheme of the Ark of the Bible here and, and see what God is doing and seeing the vision that he has for the nations and what he's going to do. It's going to happen. We're going to see him bringing them together in the gospel. Acts chapter 2, when you get there, you can pick up and follow along where I'm at. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost, now Pentecost is, this is like a harvest festival, the harvest of wheat for uh, the, the Jewish people about 50 days uh, after uh, the Passover started, okay? So, so Pentecost arrived. They were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation 
under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked them, saying they're filled with new wine. So we're not going to be able to spend, there's so much here that we could unpack. But I just want you to notice what's happening. Verse 4, they're, they're filled, it says, with the Holy Spirit as they begin to speak in other tongues. So this, what's happening is this is a fulfillment of Jesus' promise that he made to his disciples before he ascended and went back into heaven. In fact, I've got this one for you on the screen. I want you to see this. Uh, back in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, here's what Jesus said. Jesus told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit, that's what we're seeing, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and for what purpose? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what we're seeing happening here in Acts 2 is this is, this is supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to propel the advancement of the gospel beyond borders, beyond language barriers, and the work of world evangelism has begun. And we see at verse 5, it says that there are men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. I want you to picture this, okay? The nations are, are gathering together to check out this miraculous work of God. They're like, man, we got to see what's going on here. We heard this crazy sound. And then they're bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This is a, this is a reversal of the Tower of Babel. Is that Babel, God confused their language so that they couldn't understand one another. Now, the Holy Spirit is miraculously empowering them to speak in different languages. And, and all these people that have been visiting Jerusalem from different countries, they've been, they've been struggling all week to try to communicate, right? Just to find a bathroom or to order falafel in the marketplace. And now all of a sudden they're like, dude, you are literally speaking my language now. I mean, can, can you imagine what that must have felt like for, for the disciples in this moment? You're, you're like, all of a sudden you're talking, and then you find yourself using words and phrases in a different language. You're parsing verbs, and you can understand the grammar, and you're like, man, I didn't learn that in French class. Those of you who are, like, studying different language in school right now, you're like, Lord, if you could just, you know, if you could just help me out with that and make this miracle happen for me for my test on Friday, man, that would be fantastic. Verse 11 says, we, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. God is bringing the nations together in the gospel. The only thing that can truly bring us together is Christ. And we see the Holy Spirit is at work as they're proclaiming this. They're proclaiming the message. They're proclaiming what God did, that Jesus came and that he died as the perfect sacrificial lamb for their sins, but that he did not stay dead in the tomb, that the grave was empty because he is risen and he is risen as the Savior for the nations. Do you see what kind of encouragement this is? 
This means that as, as, as we go and as we live sent to make disciples of all nations, as we take trips to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia and other countries, or as we go and knock on the doors of our neighbors, as we're taking those little invites and trying to bring somebody with us to come and hear the gospel in Easter, we are being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and borders and language barriers cannot stop the advancement of the gospel. This is awesome power that we're seeing here. And all of this is actually going to culminate. One day we're going to see this. The Pentecost here in, in Acts 2 is, is a picture that's pointing to the great gathering for worship before the throne of God that we're going to see in the end times. Revelation chapter 5 says, Worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation." God's vision for the nations is that we would be united in worship. You see, we see a little glimpse of this kind of unity and excitement sometimes. Like in, in sports, this happens like when your favorite sports team wins and all of a sudden you find yourself high-fiving a total stranger in B-dubs or in an, an arena or something like that. Or... or um, we, we also see it in, in the viral sensation and fandom around a new Star Wars trailer when that comes out, right? And, and we just, we, we get all excited about it and we start talking. It kind of brings us to Star Wars in Mandarin. Or, or try talking to your teammates in German, right? Okay, so here's, while we can experience these fleeting moments uh, of closeness and kindred spirits when we have shared interests and, and we're together in celebration or sometimes even in tragedy, Sometimes those things can bring us together, but nothing can bring us together like the gospel of Jesus. And there is a far greater unity and excitement as the nations gather to worship him. And think about this. Now when, when, when words are coming out of somebody's mouth that you can't understand, it's kind of confusing, right? But imagine how beautiful that worship will be when we are joined together in a tapestry of colors and a symphony of praise to Jesus in every single language. It's going to be awesome. And, and I, I, wanted, I, I felt like I should give this away because it's going to be really cool. Next week, you're going to get to hear a taste of that. You are not going to want to miss it. But listen, every single Sunday, it's never just another Sunday because the church is a little glimpse of heaven. And as we look around at all the diversity that we have, people from all over the world in all stages and walks of life, when, when, when we uh, look around at everybody that's here, we realize like, we, we love one another. Because we're brothers and sisters now. And what a privilege, what a joy it is to come together and lift high the name of Jesus, who is the only one who is worthy. This is a picture of God's vision for the nations. So I'm going to have our worship team come now, and we're going to do that. I want us to, I want us to spend some time praying. And right where you're at, I think, it's good for us, as we've been saying, we, we rush into God's presence so often ready with our list of things that we need him to do. And, and God hears my requests, and we, we call that prayer. 
But one of the things that we've been learning is to just really seek the face of God. That we want to experience his presence and enjoy his presence. And so right where you're at, I want you to just take a few minutes and pray. But I want you to direct your prayers in praise and adoration and worship of God. That he is holy. There's no God like our God. And because of that, he is worthy. So let's take a few moments and just praise our holy God and exalt him together.